And you know when you get, like, too anxious to put on pants? <laughs> what? I, like, I was trying to put on... Maybe this is just me. I was trying to put on these high-waisted jeans, and it wasn't, like, that they weren't fitting or anything, but it was just, like, I was feeling claustrophobic in yeah. them. Like, they were suffocating me. <laughs> so I put on yoga pants instead. As I'm wearing, like, a normal shirt, yoga pants, and then... I was like going to be like, well, at least I'm not wearing my bathrobe. But I just went and nope. put it on because no, you it's cold cute. in here. Well, I don't think it's weird when you wear your bathrobe in here when it's cold. I think it's weird when you wear your bathrobe when you go outside and like live your life. Like you wear it like a coat. Wait, why are you saying it like that? I don't do that. You're saying it. I think you mean it like hypothetically, but I want everyone to know that I don't do that. At least I haven't done it yet. Like you go to the bodega with your cigarette and your oh bathrobe. God. That might be my oh. future. I've gotten really comfortable wearing this bathrobe a lot. Like that lady, or that guy in um, The Princess Diaries, the guy that's like, the lady did not stay for tea, but the promise of tomorrow hung in the air. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I do not. The weird neighbor, the mean neighbor oh, that sits outside and watches. Yes. Okay. Gosh, okay. I have not seen that movie in a long time. All right. Um, welcome to 2020, the Hi. podcast. Yeah. Okay. We're back, bitch. Yay. Um, um, wait, so we really want to talk about La La Land. We want to talk about La La Land. We want to talk about <sighs> the beauty of La La Land. We want to talk about how thankful we are for <sighs> you listening people. Yes. All 12 of you. Yeah. Thank you, mom. <laughs> Sorry. No, that was a joke. I really don't think my parents have listened to this. I hope. Well, I think mine, mine, mine did. Mine, I know. Mine I just did. don't think my parents know. I don't think they get podcasts. Um, Wait. Okay. We need to talk about La La Land. Okay. La La Land. So Katie and I saw La La Land oh last night. Um, have holy you ever, crap. Have you ever sobbed in public do you want to <laughs> go see la la land not even sobbing but just like i felt like the emotions i was experiencing during that movie were pretty private <laughs> like yeah. like i there were moments where like i don't even know what the look on my face was because i was feeling so many different things all like thrill like as a noun i was experiencing thrill yeah <laughs> joy the thrillist i was like exhilarated it was so Mm, I mean, it's just, it's a love letter to Hollywood, it's a love letter to musicals, it's a love letter to jazz, it's a love letter to love, following your dreams. It it was just everything. I mean, I feel like as creative people, like, obviously we felt connected to it, but I think, I mean, it's just such a genuine piece of art. Like, it's just so pure. Mm -hmm. And, like, it, it just so captures all these really beautiful, pure human emotions in a way that's not, it didn't feel like snarky or cynical at all. It was just like, yeah, it was just beautiful. I was beaming. I was beaming, beaming the whole the time. I never felt, I just, it, it just felt so true the whole movie to bring you guys up. If you haven't seen it or if you're planning on seeing it, it's like, we're not going to spoil anything, but just like the whole meat of this movie is people following their dreams and the stakes and how that affects your relationships and it's 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 like 
I think a movie about a relationship more so mm-hmm. than like a story. Um, and I, like avoiding hyperbole, what I said to you after yeah. was, uh, this movie felt like a hug from God. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> like it, I, I, are you kidding me? Did you see my Facebook post about it? I, yeah. I was like, it was the essence of my soul on the big screen, which is maybe one of the corniest things I've ever said, but I, I truly, know. truly mean it. I felt like the way I felt when I saw 500 Days of Summer and I was like, shut up, guys. It's my movie. But I want everybody to see this movie because it's so... I think everyone will feel um, that way. Yeah. Like, I felt like it was speaking specifically to me, but I think everyone will feel that, which is like, that's the... To me, like, that's how you know it's a a perfect film because it'll... Everyone will feel like it speaks to them in their own way. Yeah, totally. But obviously, like, I mean, there are moments, like, as an actor, like, Emma Stone's character is like a struggling actress in LA. So there were like a lot of moments that I did very specifically relate to. And she's like in love with, (laughs) you know, dating this musician. And like, it's just a beautiful movie guys. It's so well done. We're just feeling very inspired. If you need a little, especially if you need a little bit of escapism, like I fully forgot about Donald Trump for the two and a half hours this movie took. Well, that's what I was reading. Like the New York times review about it last week. And that's what they're saying. It's like, it's so, It's just, like, a perfect escapism, like, optimistic, but just, like, beautiful and well done. You know, because we're... What they were saying in the article is, like, there are all these... You know, a lot of the, like, this time of year, all the Oscar buzz movies coming out are, like, the, you know, kitchen sink realism, like, dark indie movies. And it's just such... It's so different from that. Like, everything else that you're going to see, it's just truly like joyful Mm -hmm. celebration of humanity. It's just a happy, Uh, it's so good. I'm going to see it like three more times this week, I think. And we'll talk about it, um, for the rest of the year on every episode. Yeah. I'm going to work it into conversation. (laughs) I was like bringing it up with people today without like no, no like connecting theme in our conversation. I was just like, I saw La La Land yesterday and I want to talk about it. Yeah. And I need you to let me talk. I know I like don't want to talk about it too much because I'm worried I'm going to spoil something about the movie. Yeah. But I just uh, go see it. It's so inspiring. Yeah. It's so inspiring. Um, okay. So updates. Updates. Life updates. Yeah. What's your life? What's my life? Well, okay. So we released our podcast on like this past Thursday. Meta. Yes. <laughs> Talking about our podcast and on our what? podcast. <laughs> and I was just feeling so inspired that I was like, I'm going to go to an open mic because I've been meaning to go try out doing stand up for so long. Like if you know me, you know, I've always been talking about doing it, but I just like, haven't actually done it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to go. So I went to an open mic and I met these really cool girls and they were like, come with us. We're going to another open mic. And I was like, tonight? And they were like, yeah, let's go. We like walked to the East Village and did another open mic and it went really well. And they gave me a prize. It was a notebook. <laughs> wow. I Guys, I've made it basically. No, but it's it just like, it was really fun. And I've been trying to go to more open <coughs> mics. I've been to like three more now mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm totally hooked. So, yeah. And then you had your improv show. Wee! Yes. Wee! Yeah, so uh, Katie and I both take classes at Upright Citizens Brigade. It's like a improv theater and Ooh. school 
for hammy people. Started by Amy Poehler. And a few other peeps. Matt Bassar. Yes. And others. <laughs> and others. And, um, yeah. yeah, so I had an improv show on Sunday. It went very well. Yay. Um, I, I was really happy with it. I had a really great class. I really liked everybody in the class. And I just feel really good. You know, releasing this felt like, um, releasing this podcast felt like, uh, the first time in a long time that I had done the thing that I was telling everybody I wanted to do, kind of yeah. like what you were talking about stand up. And there were so many pieces of the wider project of like setting up, like doing the artwork and setting up like the technical aspects of how this gets done. And like, I just feel like I could, I could do anything. Yes. I can do anything. So I'm, I'm feeling good and good. I'm ready for some like weird, Pumpkin pie, red wine, candy cane situations in a couple weeks. What? Oh, I was like, what? Are you <laughs> describing a yeah, candle? No. I was trying to like segue into that. I'm like going home for the holidays, oh, but yeah, back to Maryland. Yes, Mary's Mary land. Maryland. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited. Do you have any fun Christmas traditions? Oh, my phone just buzzed. Sorry, guys. Um. Uh, fun Christmas traditions. Um, not really. No. I mean, we, my family... <laughs> we sit around in the dark and just look at we each other. Sit, we sit around in the dark. <laughs> my mom gets we a water gun. We light a single gun. candle. <laughs> my mom has a little squirt gun, and if anybody <laughs> makes a sound, she squirts you. Yeah. No fun. No fun about Christmas. We let neighbors in, and they just break dishes <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> That's Christmas for me. Um, yeah, yeah awesome. like any other American family. Yeah, just keep it really traditional. Yeah. Um, no, I'm excited to see high school friends and just be generally a little fool. A little <laughs> um, fool. A little foolish. Um, yeah, what about you? You going home to yeah. Albuquerque? Pencil? Yeah, <laughs> Albuquerque, New Mexico. I don't know anyone there. I'm just going to go and like see what happens. For me, Christmas is about making new traditions. Um, no, I'm going back to... Pennsylvania. Woo. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. My family, it'll be a little different this year. We're celebrating with my cousins. We usually do like Christmas dinner with them, but my one cousin's a nurse now and has to work on Christmas. So we're going to celebrate with them on the 23rd. So that'll be new. Mm. And then every Christmas Eve, we have like a little party at my house and all like our family, friends and neighbors come. And, uh... Yeah, sure. I'll probably go see La La Land again. I was texting my family about it today, and they're all like, yeah, we want to wait and see it with you. And I was like, oh, thanks, guys, because no one waited to see Fantastic Beasts with me. So That's because, yeah, so now they have to. Okay. <sighs> I texted my whole family. I was like, I saw it, and they were like, cool. <laughs> I was like, it was great. They were like, eh. Uh, great, love it. <laughs> nice. Um Nice. Oh, I forgot to say my best friend from who lives in Costa Rica will be home. So I'm seeing... Oh, yeah. I'm seeing Ray Ray. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So okay. we've got two awesome peeps this week. Wait, can we tell them what the name of the episode is, even though they'll probably have read it? because it's, it's like on their phone screen. Oh, it is. But I just we think can it's also, very funny. <laughs> well, so today... Today, baby. That's not... No, I don't... Today we're doing Jim Carrey and Drew Carey. The Carrey Diaries. Also known as 
that TV show that they did as a prequel to Sex and the City that was very strange. <laughs> Why? Like, let's have a very sexual character be 16. That sounds yeah. like a great idea for everybody. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. I never watched that show. Did you ever watch it? No, I had, um, things to do. <laughs> <laughs> I had to live my life. Yeah, no. Um, then, wait, I just want to say, like, I was... I'm, like, excited. Well, we picked this to be, like, our next episode a while ago, but it seems like really Ooh. good timing because oh, these yeah. are two stand-up comedians, and now that's what I'm trying that's to what do. what you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, actually, I can fully say, so we'll just move on in, move on into Jim Carrey. Yeah, you should definitely JC. <laughs> Not that JC. B-O-G-J-C. <laughs> um, Jim Carrey uh, kind of inspired this podcast um, with his, uh, commencement speech at Maharishi University of Management, named after the Maharishi from the 60s, that guru. Wait, where, what? I it's, don't, I've never it's heard in of Indiana. this place. Um, Maharishi. it's, it's like a very, like the most liberal of liberal arts colleges. It's oh. like all about like new wave, um, thinking and incorporating that into different, I don't really know. I'm kind of like. Build, like I know what it is, but I'm not doing a very good job articulating it. Oh, okay. It's anyway, in Indiana. It's cool. in it's it's this <laughs> thing in Indiana. Um, no, a lot of you have probably seen Jim Carrey's commencement speech from uh, 2014 that he did. Uh, like commencement speeches, like regardless of what school they're at, they kind of just float around. Um, I remember this one was huge. My mom sent it to me. She was like, "Matthew, watch this." Um, I'll kind of, like, get into it, and we'll kind of talk about that Yeah, tell me about it, because I don't about. think I watched it. Um, you need to. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's just, like, a really hopeful... I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and, like, just... Yes, go. Do your dive thing. Dive in. Do your thing. Dive in. Okay. Uh, Jim Carrey, James Eugene Carrey, was born on January 17th, 1962, in Newmarket, Ontario, Canada. So... I didn't really know he was Canadian, but he is. Um, yeah, and it's, a lot of a lot of comedians are secretly Canadian. I know a lot of people like, um, like <laughs> are Mike from Myers. Canada. Yeah. Uh, uh, who else? <laughs> We're now I think can't of think like of more, more examples, but I know there are. Oh, and also um, Mike Myers. <laughs> oh, um, wait, wait. Uh, Justin Bieber. What's his name from SNL? Oh, Mike Myers. Oh. <laughs> um, wait, is Lauren Michaels from Canada? Huh? I feel like he. Let me ask the um, the little computer. In my anyway, computer. okay. Uh, so Jim Carrey, uh, his parents were Percy and Kathleen Carey, um, and so Percy, um, he Jim talks about his dad in that speech that I was mentioning. He says, "My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that was possible for him, so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was twelve years old." Mm-hmm. He was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Ugh. Which, like, to say that that's a little bit of the inspiration for this podcast, I think. Jim Carrey is a brave, confident guy. Yeah. We're going to keep getting into it, but, like, um... He he speaks so um, 
with such wisdom about his parents and about like learning from the people around him in his life. Um, and a big thing that he says in the speech is that the greatest currency you have is the effect you have on other people, the way mm. you make other people feel like bigger uh, than money. I like that. I so agree. Like, it's kind of like that Maya Angelou quote that like people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And I think, like, I always think of that quote in, like, a shitty way. I'm like, bitch, I'll never forget what you did. (laughs) I won't forget how you made me feel. And, and I I mean, I'm sure that I've been that person before that, like, made someone feel, like, absolute shit and they never forgot about it. But, like, I hope not. And I don't know. But, like, that's what, like, in the last couple years of my life, I've really, really tried to focus on being a pleasant person to be around. But every now and then, (laughs) I fail. (laughs) Well, if someone is not making any monetary currency, I hope that my my feelings currency is, is going yeah. strong. You could go sell your feelings on yeah, the street. Yeah, I think I'm making some major investments in positivity and joy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's his dad. Uh, he was like this, you know, this guy who probably could have been an artist but chose to be practical, which is a theme yeah. carried over from our previous week with uh, J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Um, Kathleen Carey, his mom, had hypochondria, and mm. uh, she would lay in bed and, um, you know, imagine that she had all these illnesses, and mm. uh, he recalls her taking a lot of pain medication, and he would go in and try to cheer her up by doing, like, weird impressions. Oh. Like, he did, he said he did an impression of a praying mantis, <laughs> <laughs> and he'd, like, bounce off the walls and throw himself <laughs> off the stairs to, like, make her feel better. Wait, even just imagining Jim Carrey doing impressions is funny enough. I know, like just he's Jim. So funny. He's so physical. Yeah. He's, he adds uh. such a like you can tell. He adds like a lot of like animal movement into. It. He's just so funny. Yeah. Um, and he's also just like completely absurd. Like his oh, yeah. humor style is so goofy. He's crazy. I love it. Um, and he later extended the funny performance to his classmates at Aldershot School in Burlington, Canada. Burlington, um, Canada. Burlington, Canada, not Cove Factory. (laughs) Or Vermont. (laughs) Or Vermont, Um, but mostly Cove Factory. There's a Burlington Cove Factory across the street from our apartment, by the way. Never forget. If anyone (laughs) wants to stalk us. Um, So, and then he found a teacher at a a school that would let him (laughs) do a stand-up routine for his classmates at the end of every class. Like, he got, like, he got, like, two minutes a day. To like make them laugh, which is like God bless wow, teachers. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, so God. he was getting his start early. Yeah. Meanwhile, I had a teacher who like wrote a, ne- a letter home to my mom saying I had gone to waste. <laughs> Just, what? Yeah, I, this is a bigger story. Gone to waste. Well, no, that she didn't write it in the. Dark. She was like sign. You know how you had to have your mom sign your agenda. Like, that you had done your homework. Like, you had that little notebook that, had, like, you had to write down what your homework was. Oh. And you had to do it. And then your mom had to sign it saying that you had done it. I didn't have that, but that probably would have helped. <laughs> like, yeah. Did it was intense. It was, like, it was through, like, maybe seventh or eighth grade. But um, the teacher could write little notes in the section. And she was, like, writing a note to my mom. I guess that I had forgotten. My, I don't know. I didn't do my homework, basically. And she liked me at the beginning of the class because I was smart, and then she didn't like me because I didn't do my homework, and she was like, ah, you've completely gone to waste. <gasps> Dark. I know. I had some teachers say some really fucked up stuff to me when I was a kid, and like, 
would make a mistake and forget to do an assignment, they'd be like, "You're you would lose your head if it wasn't attached to your oh body." Oh my god! And I was like, "Jesus!" And you never forgot how they made you feel. No, I didn't. <laughs> Bitch, we don't forget. Fifth grade math teacher. God, be nice to children because they're gonna grow up and build their entire careers off of spiting you. <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Not, not true. Not true. No, not. no. The good ones, the good ones are they're more important. I had, to, I remember, I was just like thinking about all the teachers that were awesome and let me just like do really weird stuff in class. Mm-hmm. Like I had these teachers who would let me like, they were, I guess now looking back, they were like comedy sketches, mm-hmm. but like, I would like be like, look, I know that this is like what the assignment is supposed to be, but like I, I wrote a rap about the industrial revolution <laughs> and I would like to do that instead of an essay. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, I love my friend and I did. <laughs> oh God, I'm getting too into this story. I no, just no, remembering no. my friend and I in our, uh, AP European history class, we were supposed to like just have like a speech that we did, but instead, cause our topic was, uh, like child labor during the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. And back then in like London town, like kids were called barns. Barns. <laughs> like, yeah, it's spelled like B A I R N I think, but like barns. So we were the new barns from the block, <laughs> new barns on the block, like new kids on the block. <laughs> and we did a rap about like being, <laughs> working in factories. <laughs> it like I mean, a cockney accent. And my teacher loved it. And I was like, thank you for letting me wow. do this. That's such a, also like, that's how rap was born. Yeah. In the industrial revolution. Yeah. No, a lot of people don't know that rap started in, uh, with the barns, in the, the was- factories of, Industrial Revolution. Yeah, I was born in a barn. Barn. <laughs> a barn. Barn. Um, barn to darn. Uh, yeah. Cool teacher. Jim Carrey had a cool teacher. <laughs> All right, yes. Um, okay, so, you know, let's move forward. So his his he mentioned that his dad got laid off. His dad got laid off and his family had to move um, to Toronto and uh, they weren't doing very well. So he dropped out of school when he was around 16 for a little bit mm-hmm. to help uh, support the family, which is like... Oh, wow. Amazing. Tina Fey just came to our school and did a speech, by the way. This is... I promise this connects. Tina Fey did a speech at Temple, mm-hmm. um, and she said about um, like simple jobs. She was like, "I think it's very good to have like." She was mentioning her YMCA thing that we mm-hmm. talked about in the last episode. She's like, "I think it's really good to have like a, a normal person job before you have a serious job because it makes you appreciate the fancy serious job." And think about how much like I don't know. Everybody works kind of when they're like fifteen, sixteen, but like when you're like working for your family. At like fifteen, that must be like a personal oh, yeah. renaissance. Like you realize, like you, you have responsibility that could We're just you, like learning about responsibility totally that young and just like the stakes of what you need to do to survive. I guess yeah, but also kind of like a oh, I can do anything I want if I'm oh, yeah. awesome and I work to make food. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, so then he also starts doing stand-up, uh, around the time he's, like, 15, um, and his dad was, like, really encouraging of it. Yeah. Which is so beautiful. His, yeah. he's like, my father used to brag that I wasn't a ham, I was the whole pig. <laughs> but um, and he treated my talent as if it was his second choice, or second chance, <laughs> second choice. He treated my talent as if it was his second chance. When I was about 28, after a decade as a professional comedian, I realized one night in L.A. that the purpose of my life had always been to free people from concern like my dad. When I realized this, I dubbed my new devotion the Church of Freedom from Concern, 
the church of FFC, and I dedicated myself to that ministry. So that's <gasps> another quote from his Maharishi uh, commencement speech. Oh my God, I love that. It, it reminds me a lot of um, a video that Alana Glazer did in like 2014, 2013 um, on her YouTube channel, Chronic Gamer Girl. Mm-hmm. She talks about like making other people feel good is like the highest service you can provide. Ugh, like yeah. giving people a break from like worrying about the stupid little things in life is such a higher calling. And I think that's such a cool, like comedians ultimately are seeking humor because they themselves, I think a lot of the time are pretty anxious people. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a big thing that I'm getting into with Drew Carey. But yeah, you find out a lot of, you know, comedians or entertainers or performers themselves, you know, have a lot of hardship in their lives. And it, it's, I think their own desire to escape from that pain. Yeah. You know, it drives them to want to do the same for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so an initial performance at uh, Yuck Yuck. <laughs> yuck Yuck. Mm-hmm. Like, that's Toronto's comedy club. Um, it didn't go so great for him. And he kind of stuck around and, like, kept coming back and sort of, like, you're doing now, doing open mics. Yeah. I just became a little British. That's annoying. And a little British. All a little British. Um, so then, uh, two years after he started at Yuck Yuck, he was the club's headliner. Wow. And that is when... Oh, that's so badass. He decided to take his little Jim Carrey booty down to L.A. and, uh, started doing shows at the Comedy Store, famous stand-up routine, or stand-up venue there. Mm -hmm. Um, and Rodney Dangerfield was there, um, who signed him to be the opening act of his tour. Wow. Which is pretty freaking cool. Damn. So wait, how old was he when this happened? So 79. So he was 25? 25? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, 27? Wait. Yeah, he was... No. No. Wait, no. It was a 79 and he was born in... 62. 62. I can't do math. Math. 17. He was 17. Jesus. Okay, but it, don't worry. He doesn't get successful that fast. Like, this is, like, a bright moment, <laughs> but, like, he's got a long way, okay? <laughs> so he auditioned for SNL in 1979 for the 1980-1981 season, or it might have been, I don't know. I don't know when he auditioned, but for the 80-81 season, and he was not selected. Um, but he has hosted SNL three times since then. Um, everybody remembers the night at the Roxbury. Oh, yeah. Um, and you can see his SNL audition tapes online. They were actually like part of a montage for the SNL 40 special that they oh, did. Oh yeah. I watched um, that. which yeah, it's kind of, kind of, I love. Right. Cause he was, stories. he was never a cast member on no, SNL. No, no. I, I forget that. And then meanwhile, like random ass people were like Anthony Michael Hall and like, uh, Robert Downey Jr. We're both on SNL. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I always forget that so Robert Downey Jr. was on SNL. I know. Also, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, but, like... She was? She deserved it. Yeah, but only for one season. There was one season where, like, everybody left, and they had to get new people, and everybody was, like, 19 years old. And oh, it was, wow. like, right after, like, the main, like, flagship people from the early 70s were, like, the people who started the show. Like, right, a lot right. of them left, and then they replaced them with, like literal children <clears throat> but all those people ended up becoming pretty successful so that's cool that's awesome um so then he uh started you know trying to get acting work um and he got a got into a 48 minute canadian tv movie entitled introducing janet aka rubber face 
83. So, I mean, like, from the time that we see him getting the Rodney Dangerfield tour to, like, getting his first, like, TV movie, it's, like, four years. So he's basically, like, living in L.A., auditioning, struggling. Um, Okay, so he's, like, 21 when he does that movie. Yeah. I just like to know that, like, I just love, like, okay. It's like... How old are they now? We're keeping tabs. That's why, like, Adele's (laughs) albums make me feel so bad about myself. (laughs) Every time I turn an age that is an Adele album, I'm just like, you know what? (laughs) Right rolling in the deep. Why didn't you do that this year? (laughs) Everyone's path is different, Matthew. I know, but I just really want to be Adele. Um, Yeah. A dude. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, he does a few little movies. None of them are really that memorable. Um, but he got into a really like a short-lived comedy series on NBC called The Duck Factory. Oh. Uh, canceled after 13 episodes. Uh, and then gets a major role uh, in a big movie in 1985 that's supposed to be huge called Once Bitten, but it didn't really mm. uh, perform very well. Um, so then he talks about... Uh, so he... Okay, Again, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge member of the Church of Oprah, um, and she has this, like, video series called Life Class, mm-hmm. which is, like, she, she'll use, like, clips from, like, the entirety of the Oprah Winfrey show. Like, she'll pick, like, very specific moments of wisdom, and this is one of them is when Jim Carrey in the 90s talks about it was, um, like, the early 90s, he wrote himself a check he would he would go out on like in the Hollywood Hills and like look out at LA and like at night kind of like we used to do honestly we yeah. used to do that um, and he would stare out at the city and visualize just imagine like comedians people that he admired coming up to him and saying you know I really like your work I really really like what you do and he was like that was like comforting to me and yeah. I I used that I knew it would happen and he's so, um, he's a little bit of like, I mean, he was speaking at Maharishi University. He's a little bit of like a hippie. Yeah. <laughs> he's very Zen. Um, the way he kind of talks about asking for things from the universe, like, asking for them back. Like visualization is a huge deal. And I think that I yeah. should probably explore it more. Wait, that's crazy because there's a story that I'm going to talk about with Drew Carey that is like pretty similar it has to do with like a visualization thing maybe they're the same person there's a lot of similarities i think that we're gonna discover Ooh. anyway okay we're we're getting there we're getting there okay so he would stare out at the city and like imagine like his success and one day he wrote himself a check for 10 million dollars and in the four line he wrote acting services rendered and he dated the check uh Thanksgiving, 1995. Okay. And he said, I give myself like five years. And he, he kept this check in his wallet. Yeah. And every now and then he would like, if he had like a bad audition or something bad happened, he would take it out and look at it. Okay. So let's fast forward. Right before Thanksgiving of 1995, he finds out that he is going to make $10 million from Dumb and Dumber. You're fucking kidding me. Is that not the most beautiful thing? Like That's money, 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 money. Amazing. <laughs> money. <laughs> not just because it's money, but like just uh I don't know, this is something also that I've heard other like uh Lauren Lapkus, a big UCB comedian, talked about how like she would she's she has a visualization board where she like she will she wants to own a house. Like she's going to own a house one day. That's mm-hmm. something that she wanted. And like 
um, they're very, like a lot of people that find this to be a successful practice, like explicitly say, like, ask the universe directly for what you, we're getting very much into Oprah territory right now, but like ask the universe what you want and it will give it back to you. Yes. And, um, but he says, he's like, you can't just visualize and then go eat a sandwich. Like you have to work. Right. Um, he's like, he, this is like back to his Maharishi speech. He says, um, like just relax, uh, and dream up a good life. Um, and then he tells a story. I had a substitute teacher from Ireland in the second grade that told my class during morning prayer that when she wants something, she prays for it and promises something in return. And she always gets it. (laughs) I'm sitting at the back and he was like sitting at the back of the classroom thinking, um, that he couldn't get a bike. So he went home and prayed for one and promised that if he got one, he recited the rosary every night in exchange. Um, he didn't do it. But two weeks later, he got home from school and there was a brand new bike uh, waiting for him. And his parents said, oh, yeah, your friend put your name in a raffle for you. And he didn't even know. What? Um, so he's like, that kind of thing has been happening to me my whole life. And it's just about like letting the universe know what you want, working towards it, and just kind of letting go about like exactly the way it's going to work out. Just like that's beautiful. Ask for it, and it'll come. And I think that sounds so simple, but I think it's really difficult because I think I know at least for me personally, like a lot of times I think I'm too scared to to like say out loud what I really truly want or think about what I really really like truly truly want because I'm scared it won't happen and I don't want to be disappointed. Yeah. And I think a lot of people probably do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, or like you know you just kind of like oh yeah I mean that'd be cool but like you know if I could just. Just getting a job, any job is more important first. Totally. Instead of being like, no, I'm going to get this job. That's actually, that reminds me, I was, we were doing Spring Awakening at Temple mm-hmm. my junior year, and I had just- Saw you in it, loved it. Hey, that was like Didn't before know we really you. met. <laughs> had a crush on you. <laughs> oh my God, stop. <laughs> um, and I remember like that summer, we knew Spring Awakening was coming up, and I had just played like a leading role in Urin Town the year before, so I was like, oh- I won't get a lead again. Like, don't give it to someone else. It'll be someone else's turn. But, like, I really wanted to be Vendela. But I was like, I'll just, I just want to get in. And I remember I had a voice lesson with my amazing voice teacher, Forrest. And I was like, yeah, I just want to get in. And he was like, no, you're going to play Vendela. Say it out loud. And I was like, I want to play Vendela. He was like, good. Now, let's prepare. And then we started working on my audition. And I went in. Instead of being like, I just hope I get in, I was like, I want to be Vendela. Oh my gosh. And that's, and I, and then I got it, but it was hard. Like someone else had to tell me to to do it. And like, to be fair, like when you do that, it's not like you get those things every time, but like it's, it's, there's something to be said that like, I don't think I would have gotten it unless I given myself permission to allow myself to be like, no, I, I want to go in for the lead. Totally. Totally. Yeah. No, I, (laughs) I was going to say like, I really wanted to be, uh, Tony in West Side Story in high school. I got Riff and I cried all the way home from the orthodontist. (laughs) (laughs) I found out in the same day that I didn't get the part that I wanted and that I wasn't going to get my braces off for like the 11th time in a row. No! And I like, I listened to... That feeling is the worst. It was the worst thing. It was the worst day. I like bought myself a personal pan pizza and like drove home and listened to um, Shake It Off by Florence and the Machine. And, like, scream cried through my braces. You got riffed off. I got riffed off. No, but I was really... I don't know. I I really should not have been Tony. Like, I would not have been able to carry that role. 
But um, I still do it alone for my family. I do a one-man sh- no, What? I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was going to say, let's do that now. Let's oh pause God. this, and I want you to do that right now. Yeah. No. Okay. So Jim Carrey, struggling in L.A., trying to get shit done, can't do it. <laughs> um, just kidding. That's not what we just talked about. Um, he, he visualizes, like, his, you know, good future and uh, while he's kind of, like, in this period of time where he's, like, auditioning and, like, getting little things, um, he gets married to oh. another actress, um, Melissa Womer, and they have a daughter, Jane. Um, oh, wow. He was pretty young. Yeah. He was, like, 25. And she is currently a singer. Um, and they are separated because, obviously, he was with Jenny McCarthy for, like, years and years. Yeah. Um, so after he uh, didn't, you know... After he's, like, been taking all these, like, jobs that aren't really panning out that well in the mid to late 80s, um, he finally uh, gets into a uh, sci-fi comedy called Earth Girls Are Easy (laughs) Um, with uh, Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum, and Damon Wayans. So pretty big names for the time. Um, And uh, Damon Wayans uh, suggests to Keenan Wayans uh, that that they should include Jim Carrey in In Living Color, which uh, becomes kind of like an SNL opportunity for him to really practice a, a lot of big characters and be in a lot of different sketches. Um, and while he's in In Living Color, he perfects a character called the overly confident gay man. Mm. <laughs> Definitely of his time, of its time, probably deserves a little bit of re-inspection, but uh, that was the inspiration for uh, the mannerisms and the voice that he used for uh, Ace Ventura. <laughs> In 1994's Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh, my God. Which, One of my favorite movies as a kid. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that movie. Um, a little politically incorrect now. Oh, yeah. But because the villain is, like, a trans woman. Right. Uh, and, like, that's pretty much the entire... <laughs> that's the character. Um, but uh, that movie itself is, like, a really interesting story. Um, it was written by... Uh, Another guy, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know what his name is. But this other guy wrote it for like six years. Um, and then uh, Jim Carrey and Tom Shadiak uh, came up and like basically rewrote the whole movie. Um, they, Jim Carrey, he matched the like movements. We were talking about him being like really into animal movements. He matched the physicality of Ace Ventura to birds. He wanted him to be like a cockatoo. Oh my god! Which is the big hair and like right. the bobbing head that as he moves. That is exactly it. Yes. And uh, it's so funny because oh like god. Jim Carrey is also in his own right like since achieving success, he's a very accomplished dramatic actor. And yeah. he uh, had a conversation with Anthony Hopkins like a couple years later, and he was telling him about this like bird thing. And Anthony Hopkins was like, "Oh, I did the same thing for Hannibal Lecter. I was like studying reptiles." Yeah. No, that's a that's a tool a lot of actors use. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I um, there was a show. I wasn't in it, but some of my friends were in college, and like one of their first rehearsals, they all went to the zoo, and they each like they were like looking at the physicalities of all these different animals and like figuring out what animal their character was. Oh. Uh. And it was a farce, so like very physical comedy. So yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that's like that's a that's a tool a lot um, of actors use. What animal are you? What animal am I? Got well, like in real life, I think like I'm I'm like a puppy. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People have said that to me a lot. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I think you're a puppy. <laughs> I don't know what I would be. Like the honey badger. Yeah. 
Like a little like bear. Or, or like a red panda. They're kind of like a squirrel. Oh, mm. yeah. Panda feels right. I'm like, yeah. Because you're like a bear, but not an aggressive bear. I get told that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Not that kind of bear. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Ace Ventura is pretty much the project that opens up the door for Jim Carrey. Um, 1994 is huge for him. He's 32, and in that year he is in Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. Oh, there's the screenwriter's name, Jack Bernstein was the guy who who wrote Ace Ventura. Mm. Um, Another fun fact about Ace Ventura... Rick Moranis was supposed to be Ace Ventura, a.k.a. the dad from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, wow. Um, and to that, I say, all righty then. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, just to kind of like cap, like cap that off, I think what's really cool about Jim Carrey is he was in L.A. working his ass off, mm-hmm. broke as shit, mm-hmm. trying really hard yeah. for like the better part of 10 years. Wow. And, like, talk about La La Land. That's yeah. some La La Land right there. A lot of rejection, failed projects, and you just have to, like, yeah, you need stuff, like, you know, it seems dramatic, but you need those kind of visualization tactics. You need those checks for $10 million. Like, you need to just yeah. keep yourself inspired to keep going because it's really hard. I think instead of a check for $10 million, I'm going to keep, like, a... a like a Chick-fil-A coupon in my wallet Mm -hmm. every day. And if I get through that day, I'm going to take myself to Chick-fil-A. And that way I can achieve my dreams. Do you think Chick-fil-A will start sponsoring this podcast if we keep (laughs) mentioning them every episode? Well, I was trying to think about something other than Chick-fil-A. I was like, maybe McDonald's, but like, I don't think I would want that for McDonald's. That's not motivating enough. It just seems too easy. Maybe Moe's. Moe's. Oh, you don't, you don't know Moe's. I don't know Moe's. Never met him. Don't know Moe's. Are we talking about Dwight's, uh, <laughs> Dwight's cousin, brother? Mo's, M-O-S-E. No. Um, it's like a, it's like a Tex-Mex situation. Oh, maybe I do There's one in Penn Station, you know, where I eat the most. Jeez. Sometimes I just go to Penn Station. Sometimes I just hang out. I just want to eat a cold sandwich underground. Yeah, I I just want to be solicited while eating I want to feel like I'm in an ant colony. (laughs) God. I want to watch a lady itch her sock. (laughs) What? While sipping a lukewarm Pepsi. Uh, God. Nothing like a fresh Jamba Juice. In a hallway that smells like pee. Penn Station. All right. Enough about Penn Station. (laughs) All right. Yay. Jim Carrey. Now let's get on to the second of Carrey's diaries. Yes. Drew Carrey. Hooray. Uh, Drew Carrey, born May 23rd, 1958 in Cleveland, Ohio. He's a Gemini, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. I just think it's important to know people's zodiac signs. (laughs) Thank God. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So a lot of this is, is actually kind of sad oh. so it's time to get serious I'm gonna do my best to not make insensitive jokes okay and if there's moments where they can be funny we'll try okay here we go hold on to your hat okay he, well he grew up also confusing but apparently there's an area in Cleveland called Old Brooklyn in I Cleveland? Just, yeah that's really complicated I know I don't wanna if, let's not talk about it I much. were doing Drew Carey <laughs> I would've just told everyone he lived in Brooklyn yeah, well, I know I read that and I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Whatever. Okay, so first sad thing. 
Okay, so when he's eight years old, his dad dies from a brain tumor. Oh, man. Yeah, so this is this is the beginning. This is what he said just the beginning of his, like, lifelong depression. Um, yeah, I mean, so basically, you know, he's, he becomes depressed. His father dies, so he, you know, he asked his mom if he could go to a psychiatrist, but she couldn't afford it, and she didn't have the time to follow through because... She's now holding down two jobs to provide for her three sons in their working class Cleveland neighborhood. Uh, So, you know, he's from an early age acknowledges that he's depressed, which I think is like kind of amazing for a kid, but just is like unable, doesn't have the resources to do anything about it. So Mm -hmm. he's like, I would have sour, bad moods for no reason at all. Um, Sometimes I'd be happy with friends. And then as soon as I got home alone I was very depressed um so yeah he spent a lot of time alone after school but during this time he'd be watching cartoons memorizing joke books listening to comedy albums um so it kind of you know comedy became his like form of escapism from a pretty early age Mm -hmm. um but yeah he describes himself as like a nerdy loner who spent his childhood feeling unworthy of happiness or success also during this time uh, around the time he's nine years old, uh, he was sexually abused. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I didn't find too much information about, like, the circumstances of that. But I think, uh, but, you know, he's always been very open about his depression, which I think is really important and cool, especially from a celebrity. And, you know, he said, he had a quote, he said, part of the problem about molestation and rape and date rape is that such shame is attached to sex that people can't talk about it because it's a sexual thing. People tiptoe around it. It's like cancer, which used to not be mentioned except for a whisper, kind of like AIDS as well. Like people just used to not mention it. Yeah. So he's always been like, you know, we need to talk about these things. Um, so that's kind of a theme that comes up a lot with him. Um, but anyway... So he's 17, uh, he graduates, and then he enrolls at Kent State University. Um, But, yeah, his depression really kicks in here. Um, You know, he he says he was kind of just, like, aimless partying, a lot of beer and pizza feeding his unhappiness. Mm, Feel that. He was like, I even managed to sleep through the drop day for classes. Um, You know, and uh, freshman year was the first time that he attempted suicide by taking sleeping pills. Oh, my gosh. He says that night he was outside this fraternity house and everyone was partying, having a great time. The happier they got, the more miserable I got. I hated everybody. I hated myself. And I thought life has been wasted on someone like me. So I found a jar of sleeping pills and woke up in a hospital. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Really, really sad. Uh, Yeah. So he was just not doing well in school. He got kicked out a few times because of grades. So he's kind of going to Kent State on and off for like three years before he finally drops out. Um, Yeah. And then so around like 1980, 1981, he's like 22, 23, he decides to sign up for the Marine Reserves, um, which is you're just the reserve. So it's just kind of like weekend duties. Um, but that's where he got his uh, his signature crew cut haircut. Oh yeah. Yeah, there was a, I just I saw a picture of him from that time, and he was like kind of a babe, like not Whoa. really my type. But yeah, he was like very. I want to see this. Yeah, he looked cute. 
Um, yeah, so he's in the reserves. So then he's when he's 24 in 82, he relocates. Oh, yo. Right? Totally. Yeah, look up young Drew Carey for a sec, guys. Yeah. Like, I mean, kind of. Right? Like, kind of. I guess, like, in compare. Oh, that's... Oh, that's Christopher Walken. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Um, anyway. So, okay, so in, when he's 24, uh, he relocates for a brief, brief time to Las Vegas, where he gets a job as a bank teller, and then he gets a job waiting tables at a Denny's on the Strip. Uh, and okay. But he's still really depressed at this time, and it's around this time that he attempts suicide for the second time. Gosh. Uh, so after that, his brother, Roger, buys him a plane ticket back to Cleveland, um, and he starts to immerse himself in self-empowerment books, uh, which he talks about a lot. You know, he, he really, he's still to this day, I don't think, has ever gotten, like, gone to therapy or taken any kind of medication. He just, like, reads a lot. Like, he's very much about the self-help yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so he's back in Cleveland. Um, he has a friend who's like a DJ, so he starts helping him write like on-air jokes. And this is when he really starts, you know, trying out the comedy world. Um, and so he's working as a waiter at this time. Um, you know, he says, he's like, I never had a job for more than 14 months until I got on television, except for the Marines, which I couldn't quit. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, so he starts, um, you know, he's going to all these open mics, and around, like, 1986, he's, like, 27, he wins this open mic contest, and he gets $50, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but for open mics, that's, like, a lot of money. $50 is freaking cool. Yeah, like, I was really excited to win a spiral notebook at an open Um, mic, so... Because you won it. I won it, yeah. $50 is a huge deal. Yeah, so, because of that, he gets... uh, he gets to be the MC at Cleveland Comedy Ooh, Club. Fifty dollars and the MC. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. He gets like that's how they he kind of gets in there, and that's a big deal to like be the MC yeah. of like a comedy night. So he's starting to like gain some traction as a stand-up comedian. Uh, so he's like twenty-seven around this time. Uh, I think he's, like, 29. He tries going to Los Angeles for a while, but runs out of money, so he goes back to Cleveland. Um, So for a few years, he's a regular on comedy stages in Cleveland and L.A. Um, Around this time, 1988, so he's probably, like, oh, like, yeah, he's, like, 30 at this point. He gets his first national exposure on the TV show Star Search. Oh, yeah, I know Star Search. Yeah, so he was, like... Beyonce. Yeah. So he like he was on that like twice, um, but you know around this time he's still like really bad with depression. He's living in cheap motels, gigging any place that would take him. He says, "I'd lie in the hotel room all day, eating pizza, watching TV. My whole day was to prepare for those forty-five minutes on stage. Sometimes I'd eat a meal and think, oh, the cheese isn't exactly right. What else would you expect from this lousy world?' After my act, I would go to the hotel bar and cry. Oh That's, like, my gosh, sad." Yeah. yeah. So he's like, yeah, he's not doing well. Um, but it in, worked out. I mean, it worked out. Right. Well, don't worry. It's gonna, and then it worked it'll out. Get, it'll get better. <laughs> so in January 91, so he's like 32 now, he moves back to Hollywood after 15 months on the road, like living on the road and out of his car. His only address was a rented mailbox in Cleveland. So yeah, so this is like kind of moving to Hollywood. It was kind of like the cap on his 
sad traveling stand-up time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, so big break time. When he's 33, uh, November 91, he makes his debut appearance on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Ooh. So back then, for like a stand-up comedian, being on the Tonight Show yeah. would be the thing that would change your life if it went well. And this is like the story that he always talks about. I mean, even but like, now it's a big freaking deal right. to get featured on The Tonight Show. Yeah, but back then it was bigger because you it was think all about the was. way we consume media now. Yeah, like we, they didn't have the internet. You can blow up from a YouTube video or whatever. But back then it was like, this was it. This is how you found out about stand-up. And it was also like the end of the, the era where like stand-ups were just gods. Yeah. Like it was stand-up like that time that it was just like... It was huge. Like, yeah. People still love stand-up comedians. And I think, like, with Netflix and HBO, it's it's coming back. Yeah. But back then, it was, like, the thing. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, this was, like, the big moment. Um, and he describes it himself. He says the way that it felt. So, basically, what happened was, if you did really, really well, Johnny Carson would wave you over to come sit on the couch with him. And that, like, very rarely happened. Ooh. And I was going to, what I thought, like, a similarity I noticed was I was looking up, I was, like, watching the video on YouTube of his stand-up, like, that night, and I saw the same year Jim Carrey was on The Tonight Show, and the same thing happened to him, where he got waved over to sit on the couch. Oh, my gosh. So, big, big year for Carrey's. So, uh, anyway, he describes that feeling of when he got flagged over to, like, sit down on the couch with Johnny Carson. He was, like, the only similar feeling he's ever had was when he was in junior high school, he went to a Pentecostal church youth group with his friend and got saved. And he says it was, like, a very emotional experience. It was, like, you know, it felt so real. He The whole, like, talking in tongues, and it was just this very powerful emotional moment. And that was, like, the only time he's felt that that same kind of heightened emotion. Um, but, okay, wait, so this is a story I wanted to tell you about where the visualization thing, he was like, yeah, the he was in Chicago for, like, a gig the night before, and he couldn't sleep. Uh, so he gets up and he starts walking around, going through his whole set word for word, and he's imagining himself doing it and then being called over by Johnny to sit on the couch and making a joke to Ed McMahon And that ends up being, like, exactly what happened. Oh, my God. But he, like, walked through and visualized the whole thing the night before. Like, word for word. He, like, he did his whole set, and then he, like, walked, like, he acted out, like, being called over and talking. And and it happened exactly like that. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever read The Secret? (laughs) No. Okay, I haven't either, but, but I feel I'm like pretty sure that this should. is what the secret is. It is. It totally is. I'm pretty is. sure this is the secret. Uh, yeah, but that's it. I mean, he's like, after that, then, you know, once you once that happened for you back then, you know, then his manager's phone's blown up. By Monday, his career was, like, locked down, set in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shortly after that, he has, like, a short-lived appearance on an NBC sitcom, and then he gets to pitch his own sitcom about a good-natured working guy based loosely on his life, and then the Drew Carey show become an instant hit. Oh, my gosh. from 95 to 2004. Love that show. And then 98, obviously, the, I mean, the way I always experienced Drew Carey growing up is from Whose Line Is, is It Anyway. Yeah. So he hosted that, and um, yeah, ever since 2007, he's been a host for The Price is Right. 
Um, but yeah, no, he talks a lot he, to this day about reading self-help books. Um, they help him organize his day. And he writes affirmations to himself on his scripts for his stand-up routines. Oh, my gosh. Um, and sometimes, you know, he'll still feel depressed. But he tries to wake up every morning by flinging open the curtains and opening the front door because it lets me know there's a world out there. Um, but, yeah, he had to learn how to believe in himself, learn how to set goals. Um, yeah, he's like, I just kept reading self-help books. Gosh. He's like, I'm always coming out bigger, better, stronger, happier. Um he also says, like, because he... I, so, there's a lot of noise I outside our apartment. I think there's probably, like, <laughs> horrible shrieks coming from outside. We live on a busy corner. It's not, like, a person dying. Don't worry. Uh, but, yeah, he's basically, like, because of his two suicide attempts, he says he's more willing to live life on his own terms and to take risks. He says... <laughs> I got my nipples pierced just for the hell of it. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, my this God. This is an older quote, but oh, he's like, no, I date strippers because I finally can. I let myself drink and gamble without feeling guilty about it. I take more chances. I think he said okay. that when he was in his 30s. Homework assignment, everybody. I think now, I read a more recent interview, and now he's like actually like, because if you've seen him lately, he's lost a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. And he said it, it's because of his son, and he would be playing with his son for like 10 minutes and be out of breath, and so he finally was like, I need to get my life together so he started like eating well and exercising and he's like this is the best I've ever felt uh yeah but basically he has a message for young people he says he says because professional fulfillment came to him later in life he wants young people not to procrastinate in setting and pursuing their goals but first he says you have to believe in yourself because you won't do anything if you don't believe in you because why bother why would I go to college? Why would anyone want me? That kind of thinking stops you from doing anything. You have to tell yourself that you are worth it and go on from there. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and again, screw social media for making you think that you're not the coolest person in the entire world. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's a lot harder for us nowadays because there's just a lot more opportunities to compare yourself to other people. But a lot of like the thing, you know, the things he was scared of and depressed about, I, I, you know, I don't think of that same intensity but I feel like the fact that I waited this long to finally just start going to open mic nights yeah, I think yeah. I I just was like scared yeah and it's not that I'm scared of performing like I've been performing my whole life but just just like trusting that what I have to say is like that funny, funny. Or, or you know worthy of being heard that people would like it and yeah. uh the second you just kind of put yourself out there that you're like oh wait yeah I can do this yeah I think both of them too like they had that that kind of like what you're talking like the anything's possible like why not me like that kind of attitude of like go do it make it happen um yeah and it seems like you know they both clearly had that that deep drive that told them to keep going Uh, you know I think Drew Carey had a lot more demons to overcome I think his was coming more from a place of like oh I'm not I'm not worth it but there's still there had to have been something in him that yeah. It was like, no, I am, because he kept going. And to do all that while you're still eating tons and tons of pizza and drinking tons right. and tons of beer. Yeah. over, over That's, like, inner strength. Yeah. Like, not to make it, like, seriously. Yeah. It's, that's not helping. <laughs> well, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I've had periods in my life where I was just, like, eating because I felt like indulging myself. Oh, yeah. You know? Last week. <laughs> for, for me. Uh, right now. <laughs> yeah. This bowl of chocolate pretzels are <laughs> Today. No, they're from Trader Joe's. They're healthy. Uh, they're healthy. 
They have flax in them. They don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we can wrap up. I know. Uh, Where are we time-wise? I think we're at like an hour and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was a fun episode. Yeah, pretty serious. But also, like, you know, I think that this is a good kind of... But just, I was really interested by it all. Yeah. And feels really thematically connected to La La Land, just like everything else. Yeah. I was eating a bowl of cereal today, and I was like, you know, this is really thematically connected to La La Land. Yeah, everything's thematically the connected crunch, to La La Land. The pop of color. Yeah, <laughs> the musical number that's taking place around me. Basically, um, Hollywood is hard, but keep going. Yeah, and even if you're not in Hollywood. Right, even, what's like, your Hollywood? What's your Hollywood? That's, yeah. that's a question we ask ourselves every day. You know, whatever your Hollywood is, keep going. All right, guys. I love well, you all. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening, and yeah. we'll have another episode for you soon. And follow us at on Instagram at twenty twenty podcast or on Twitter at twenty twenty pod or email us at twenty twenty podcast at gmail dot com. Bye. 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 Bye, friends. Money, 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 money. Good.